Hey, Story Show listeners, Jeremy Corey Greenis here along with... I'm Shane Kepke. And I'm Angie Zoller-Barker. <laughs> and... Uh, <we> are... <laughs> I like that that was funny. <laughs> I know, you have laughed every time she introduces herself, and I just wonder, is it the way she says it, or... Angie just gives me great joy. <laughs> <laughs> true, true fact. So we're here today uh, sharing stories from our January 2020 Pass the Plate Story Show, and our next story is from Bev... Jackson Cotter, and Angie's going to preview it a little bit for us. Yeah, so Bev is one of my favorite people who comes and speaks at the story show. She's just like warmth personified. Um, being around her is just a joy. Um, her story was about like all the lessons she learned um, growing up at home, and a lot of those centered around the table, like eating, food, um, those kinds of things. And then she ended with this amazing list of like, lesson she learned from her parents that she still uses for today and uh, I like that idea I hope one day like my kid is like here are things I learned from my parents and that I still keep with me today so that's cool what would one of those or a couple of those be for you um well I hope the biggest one that all of our kids take because we do this with our nieces and nephews too is we really focus not on like things but on experiences so like birthdays and holidays it's all about like doing something together and creating a memory um and so more than anything that's what we've tried to pass on is the idea that like spending time together and and yeah you do that i mean i I see that just from an outsider you know the the time that you spend with your nephews and family trips and things like that rather than buying Mm -hmm. stuff or if you do buy stuff it's so that you can do things together, right? Yeah. So that's cool. Absolutely. Uh, I love watching you with your nephews and the taste testing things you do. Mm-hmm. You completely in, uh, like made our family inspired last year, and we are doing the chicken sandwich run right now yeah. around town. And we're going to buy all the chicken sandwiches and try them and see who has the best I one. can't wait to hear which one you guys pick. And when you guys did the goldfish, I think it was a few weeks later, we were on vacation, and I was at the store buying snacks for the road trip, and I was like, every goldfish. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. So and, tomorrow we're doing cereal. So we're going to the grocery store, and the kids are all picking a box of cereal that they've never tried, but they've always wanted to. Okay. So, um... Unfortunately, you've got about just... 300 cereals to choose from. <laughs> At the grocery store, so right. that's good. There's no lack. Yeah. I, I think those kinds of lessons are really valuable, and the experience over the stuff sticks mm-hmm. for a long time. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta have tradition set up, right? Like those fun yeah, things. One of the things we've been talking about at our house is that it costs nothing to be kind, mm-hmm. and trying to instill, like, you don't always have to be happy about what's going on, you don't always have to agree with what's going on, but... You can also disagree without being the world's worst human being or, you know, it doesn't cost anything for you to be kind. You're not going to become less just because you help someone else become more. Mm-hmm. And that's a really hard lesson for us to learn because we are so protective of our stuff, I yeah. think, sometimes. Well, I think that's a very American point of view is, you know, capitalism and com- competition and that kind of a thing. And right. you got to kind of unlearn some of those things a little bit. Like right. Second place is the first loser. Yeah. yeah. No fear, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Bunch of 80s and 90s kids sitting there on this table. So some wisdom that, and it is related to food as well, like like with Bev, that that, uh, I was given from my parents, and I think Jenny, my wife, was as well, it has to do with not wasting. Mm -hmm. And 
Um, our parents, both hers and mine, were raised by parents who came of age during the Great Depression in rural America. And so, like, this idea of wasting food or wasting mm-hmm. anything um, is, you know, anathema, you know, in the family. And, um, we've, Jenny hates this, but we call her Thrifty Jen sometimes <laughs> because she's always looking, you know, for a deal and, and how to reuse things and not, not to just throw things out. And, um, sometimes this manifests itself in not so good things. Like, did you guys grow up in the clean plate club? Like, did you have to mm-hmm. finish your plate? You know, um, and, uh, and I always then, just gave mine to Jeff. There you go. Yeah, you <laughs> he cleaned go. it for me. Sure. <laughs> and so there's, there's, you know, we know that there's some negative things about that too. Like that, you know, it's not always good to eat when you're not hungry or whatever, but um, oh, you didn't have to go lay down on the floor every night after dinner. Because <laughs> <laughs> we did. Or that Jeff and I both oh. just laid on the floor every night after dinner. Like, oh my God. I, I just need like an hour. Yeah. I'll be fine. It hurts so bad. Hold on. <laughs> it hurts so good. <laughs> but uh, but you know we 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 kind of we cook real food and we we live on leftovers in between the big meals and um, and I. I I don't know how common that is anymore, you know, but I'm glad we do it. And, and I think my daughters will carry that forward with them. So it's a hybrid. And I think a lot of, like, you're saying it's a hybrid tradition you're carrying on. Yeah. And those kinds of rules become traditions, which become then we think never change. And the reality is we all alter them to fit our own right. reality. And portion sizes have changed since the Great Depression until now. I mean, there was a lack. So when you got your plate, you ate it all. But mm-hmm. now the plate is so full that that's not the best idea. Yeah, it's yeah. maybe so, better to say don't take more than you. Yeah, you can, can eat. eat. Yeah. yeah. So I was having a discussion not that long ago with somebody about the idea of like the land of milk and honey mm-hmm. and like this utopia idea, and where that came from was the idea that like you had access, unlimited access to food, like instantly. Um, and like that we live in it now like every day you can just go get food at any point and I, I, yeah there's something about the idea of like we many have, of us can yeah yeah, yeah. Right. like we have access to like we should appreciate the things that we have right yeah yeah food insecurity is something I've never had to experience thank goodness but um, for those of us who, who don't mm-hmm. have to experience that it's, it's pretty easy right mm-hmm. it is and I think on the good news side of COVID is that food insecurity has actually decreased in our community, at least. I don't know if it's nationwide, obviously, but I know in our community that that's decreased just because the school stepped up and other nonprofits stepped up to the plate and started offering more food to people who were at home more of the time. And, and it was funny that I've, at the church I work at, I've handed out less assistance in the last year for food than I had in the prior three years. We were, we were talking earlier about how, um, you know, shout out to Albert Lee area schools and the leadership there that, you know, handling so many kids being home and making sure everyone had access to those meals was was done really, really well. Mm-hmm. And um, and I'm hoping, I'm hoping that as a society that we, we hang on to those le- that lesson, right? That... How important is it that people have access to food and, and um, you know, who should, who should have to pay for a school lunch, you know? 
Well, and that's what this the charity for the show was, the Pass the Plate, was the backpack. Yeah, yeah. Food for Backpack program, which was going on this last year in, in, in conjunction with free school lunch. There was also this weekend food plan. And there were so many meals on Friday that the kids were taking home food for backpack and the other food. So they were actually getting enough food to last a weekend rather than still having to supplement. And so I thought it was it was an amazing thing. And we know from experience and stuff that the kids actually share with their siblings. And so a high school student who might be nervous to take something publicly will be borrowing from their younger siblings. So for them to be able to share was a really big gift. Yeah. And this was one of our biggest donation shows. I think our ticket sales were about on par with the rest of our shows, but like the money we got in we got at the show. On, on the way as people were leaving the door. Yeah. We got mm-hmm. more donations. Which yeah. I think says a lot about our community. It does. All those and things you can say. People and I mean, people love kids in general. And so it's always easy to support kids, but no one likes to think of them their kid or their neighbor's kid is hungry. I mean, that's just a... a, a, Because I think food is so readily. I mean, it's this weird thing about food in America. So I'll pull a Shane here and say, you can cut this next part if you want to. I don't know if it's going to work, but um, this has made me think of universal basic income um, and this idea that, that food, food is a basic human right that everyone should have access to, period and that we live in a society where we have the means as a tax base if we uh, allocate and appropriate the funds uh, you know, appropriately um, so that kids don't need to be hungry. Like we, we could make uh, all school lunches free for everyone permanently so that there isn't that stigma of turning in the paperwork and having a, just like with healthcare, we've got the ability to provide. Well, I think the follow-up to that or the other side of that is people say, well, I don't understand why people can't lift themselves up by their bootstraps. And the reality is a lot of people don't even have a pair of boots, number one, or no one ever showed them how to put their boots on. Or, you know, there's all of these things. We just think you should be able to do it. And I mean, that gets into the topic of privilege, but uh, the story she gives is one of, I have passed this information on to you. Here's your pair of boots. How are you going to put them on? How are you going to wear them? This is how we wear them. This is when we wear You know, they gave all of these kind of boundaries around what it means to be a human being and not just a decent one, but a pretty successful one. And a really, who's grown into a really compassionate, endearing adult. Well, and her stories are from Albert Lee. I mean, it's the idea that like, they were eating food that her dad shot the night before that day or caught out of the lake because right. like... That's what they had to do. So, like, they were eating carp from Albert Lee Lake and squirrels and rabbits. <laughs> and, like, and this is all in the story, and it's good. <laughs> the story, probably not the squirrel. <laughs> I've never indulged, so... Yeah. yeah, I don't know that I've Should we do a taste test, guys? I feel like there needs to be squirrel in the menu. <laughs> Jeremy's face just went... <laughs> <laughs> That's a hard no for me. <laughs> Got it. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, let's 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 listen to Bev, and uh, and we hope you enjoy her story. It's a good one. Bev Jackson Connor will never slow down. As a mom, she was a Girl Scout leader, Sunday school teacher, and 4-H leader. At age 37, she started college, and student taught in an international school near Starnberg, Germany, when she was 42. She had an 18-year career as a museum director, 
and discovered her love of storytelling by listening to real people share their life experiences. As a retiree, Bev belongs to a library reading group and the Washington Street Writers, coordinates a storytelling circle at a retirement center, and is super active in the Albert Lee Art Center. She has been told that she smiles too much, not true, and that her writing is too creative, also not true. This is Peanut Butter and Dill Pickle Sandwiches by Bev Jackson Cotter. My dad was born in 1900 and mom in 1902. They were both from large families, the children of German immigrants. When they graduated from eighth grade country school, they went to work, dad on a neighboring farm and mom as a housekeeper. They were 21 and 19 when they married and they raised five girls, four of them during the years of the Great Depression. I came along later. We were all born at home. Dad worked in a factory most of his life, and Mom was a full-time homemaker. Their life was hard at times and easier at others, and they were comfortable with what they accomplished. When we'd go for a Sunday afternoon drive or on a short trip, as he pulled into the driveway, Dad would always say, that's a nice-looking house. Some good people must live there. I was the youngest of those five girls, the tag-along. And until I learned the subject of this story show, I had never thought about just how much wisdom was served on each platter or plate that passed from one hand to another around our dinner table. Dad loved hunting and Mom was a wonderful cook. He was very fussy about cleaning that wildlife and when he brought it into the kitchen, it was ready for the frying pan. Mom was good at creating dishes according to what was currently in the cupboard and if she didn't have something a recipe called for, she'd substitute raisins or chocolate chips. What did it matter? Along with the beef roast or pork roast she prepared on Sundays, her menus included chicken, free range, there was no other kind, or fish from Dad's weekend mornings at Fountain Lake. I remember one particularly tasty dish that included bullhead layered with bacon slices. Delicious. Squirrel and rabbit were also on her menu, though I'd complain that I spent more time picking meat off the bones than eating. She also served us Canada goose and duck and pheasant. That was my favorite. Once in a while, for variety, Mom would fix a ham or meatloaf or maybe even sausage with mashed potatoes and sauerkraut. I recently ran across her instructions on how to prepare squirrel. They said, wash, Parboil 15 minutes with onion and a little salt. Drain and wash off. Boil until nearly done, then roll in flour and fry. Broth will make gravy. She also says, you can shorten your preparation time by simply rolling the meat in flour, but the parboiling removes the wild taste. This meat was accompanied by sliced potatoes fried in bacon grease and vegetables from the garden fresh in the summer, and from her home canning mason jars in the winter. And sometimes there would be a dish of peach sauce or applesauce also from those mason jars. Her chicken soup with homemade noodles rolled out on the countertop was the best soup ever. Her cakes were always made from scratch, delicious, 
but she would leave the dill pickle dish on the table so we could have one later to help curb the sweet aftertaste of cake. Mom never learned to drive, so on Saturday mornings, Dad would take her to the grocery store. He often selected a special treat for himself, something like pickled pig's feet, or head cheese, or tongue, or pickled herring, or blood sausage, or horseradish. When they'd get home, Dad would open the package of his favorite snack. And while I might sample his delicacies, Mom would get busy fixing lunch. If she didn't feel like cooking, she'd make peanut butter sandwiches with dill pickle slices on them. They were a special treat and another favorite. In our home, we never developed a taste for sweets. So while the peanut butter was good, that pickle was very satisfying to our taste buds. I mentioned earlier that I never realized just how much wisdom was served on each platter or plate that was passed around our dinner table. First of all, there was love. It was never spoken in our stoic German family, but it was there. 24 hours a day, in the gentle words, the security, the home-cooked meals and the lunch boxes prepared for work or school. We felt it in the fresh air aroma of clean sheets on our beds, the spotless home we were proud to bring our friends to, the treadle singer sewing machine homemade skirts and blouses we wore, and Dad's freshly ironed work clothes. Love was on that platter. Then there were all the significant and insignificant rules of living that were part of the conversations as we passed the plates. Rules like, number one, cover your mouth when you sneeze. That was before the sneeze into your shoulder or elbow concept. Number two, you can't sing and eat at the same time. <laughs> I love to sing, in the car, walking down the street while washing dishes, but dad wouldn't let me sing at the table. Number three, clean your plate. There are hungry children in China. What did those children have to do with my plate? I don't know. <laughs> Number four, you can rest in the evening when you've finished your day's work. No explanation needed there. Number five, pay your bills. That paycheck is not yours if you have any debt. And pay cash for your cars. When I was in high school, Dad drove a black 1937 Buick. It was spotlessly clean with no rust, but I was so embarrassed when he'd roll down his window to hand signal a turn. <laughs> the car was older than I was. How humiliating to a teenager. <laughs> Number six, save a little out of each paycheck. When their home was finally paid for, Dad put the equivalent of the mortgage payment in the bank every month. It was their retirement, Mom's security after Dad died, and later, a small inheritance for the family. Number seven, read, read, read. Dad always gave me a book for Christmas, and I was 16 before we got a television. Before that, we read in the evenings. Number eight, if you have a sore throat, wrap a sock around your neck and drink a glass of hot lemonade. You'll feel a lot better. It really does help. <laughs> Number nine, when one of us would mess up, we were never punished, but we heard in a stern voice, well, you've made your bed. Now you must lie in it. And number 10, when we were old enough, it's okay to have a beer once in a while, just don't have too many. 
Number 11, there was one more powerful life lesson Dad taught me, and it came when he was 71 years old and dying of cancer. At that time, he was still sitting at the dinner table and even passing the plates, but he wasn't eating much. In fact, hardly anything at all. His doctor had recommended chemotherapy, and Dad tried it for a short time. He was miserable. On his next visit, he asked the doctor how much good it was doing. The doctor replied, well, the cancer is so advanced, the chemo probably isn't helping your body. It's more for your peace of mind. Dad answered, I'd rather go fishing. And that's what he did. And number 12, mom always had a treat on hand in case someone stopped by unexpectedly. Along that vein, she was 92 and still living in her own home when she died. She baked a pie on Tuesday, had a heart attack on Wednesday morning, and died that afternoon. On Thursday morning, we made her funeral arrangements, then went back to her home and ate the apple pie she'd baked on Tuesday. It was delicious. Today, I am a mom, a grandmother, and a great-grandmother. My growing up years were so completely different from those of my own family. We didn't have a telephone when I was a child, nor a television, and the moon was that romantic, smiling face in the night sky, not dust and rocks to be walked on and examined under an electron microscope back here on Earth. No one had heard of computers or smartphones or even Ninja Turtles. I sometimes wonder what is passed around on the platters at today's dinner tables or how often families even gather together for dinner. I'm glad I grew up when I did, though when I watch the frisky squirrels running around in my yard and trying to get into the bird feeder, I'm really glad they're not going to be on my supper table. <laughs> it's been a long time since I've heard the gentle words of my parents and listened to their guiding words, some of which I honored and some I ignored but I'll not forget their love, nor the wonderful meals brought home by dad, prepared by mom, and passed around on a plate at our dinner table. By the way, if you come to my home tomorrow around lunchtime, I'd be happy to welcome you. I'll be passing a plate of peanut butter and dill pickle sandwiches. <laughs> Thank you. Past the Plate Story Show is recorded live January 11th, 2020 at the Marion Ross Performing Arts Center in Albert Lee, Minnesota. The show was produced by Angie Zoller-Barker, Shane Kepke, and me, Jeremy Corey Greenis. To hear more stories, follow us on Facebook, subscribe to our podcast, or check out our webpage at thestoryshow.org.